Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. Before we jump into that, uh, everyone say today. So today at 4 p.m., 4 to 6 p.m., we have our open house to our retreat, our Radiant Retreat Center that we just purchased back in November. We want you to see that. We'll share a little bit of vision about it. We're going to have a night of worship at the end of it. It is a kind of tricky to get to. It's right off of 12. It's like two turn, two left turns right off of 12, depending on which way you're going, I guess. Um, but if you're coming from Jackson, there's two left turns off of 12. But we, pr- we made some maps for you. You can get the maps at the information counter in the foyer uh, from I-94. Pretty simple. Just go south on 127, east on 12, and then a couple of turns. But if you try to use Google or MapQuest or something like that, Google Maps or MapQuest, you're not going to make it. It's going to put you somewhere in Tipton, Michigan. You'll be close, but you're going to be confused. So grab the map so you can find that out. And then everyone say next week. Next week we have water baptisms. And I just want to take a minute here just to to highlight that because it's a big deal. If you've never been water baptized, uh, we encourage every believer, um, and whether you've been a believer for a long time, you've never done it, you say, well, I don't need water baptism. Actually, we do. It's the first step of obedience. It's a, it's, it shows our lordship to Jesus. Jesus himself got water baptized, said it was necessary, actually. And Jesus told his disciples, go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a very spiritual thing. It'll be a landmark, a spiritual landmark for your own life. So if you've never done that, uh, or maybe uh, you, you did that when you were a child, or maybe you got uh, baptized as a baby, as an infant, but you've never done it uh, as, as an adult because you've got your own faith, we encourage you to do that. And maybe last week you were one of the, hey, guys, we had 40-plus people respond to salvation last week. That's huge for Easter. Maybe you were one of those 40, then I would say, hey, get water baptized. That's going to be huge for you. You can sign up on our website. We'll get you all the information. If you're afraid of that, don't, don't be freaked out about it. There's just so many cool things about being baptized. Uh, we have learned that people who take that next step in their faith tend to, be, uh, li- tend to live out their faith more committed than those who decide not to. So we hope that you do that. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the message. Father, we thank you today. For the Holy Spirit, and we want your spirit to speak to us in this message today. Father, even though it's practical, Lord, I pray that it would be meaningful. I ask, Father, that it it would propel our future. Lord, I pray that the message today, Father, would strengthen marriages and strengthen single people. Lord, I pray that the the Holy Spirit would would, uh, interpret for us what we're supposed to do with this. So, Father, we give you permission to speak, and we want your voice today in this message. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting a brand new series today called Bless This Home. And this is about just blessing our home, blessing our life in general. Today we're going to be talking about marriage. Next week we're going to be talking about the blessing of slowing things down. The week after that we're going to talk about the um, having... Uh, a Christ-centered home that blesses parenting and raising your children. And then the blessing of our finances. We'll kind of wrap that up in the first weekend of May. So we hope that you stick around for these. But today I want to talk about the blessing of a marriage. And if you're here and you're single, or maybe you're single again, and you're thinking, oh, great, this is a wasted Sunday. You know, they're going to talk about marriage. And I'm like, no, 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 this, I have something for you too. In fact, you're likely going to be married one day. You should take notes. And I'm just going to give you, if you're single, the big idea for you today. The big takeaway for you today is if you're single 
And uh, the scriptures say it's not good to be alone, right? It's not good that man is alone. We're meant to be in community. We're meant to be in marriage. God does call some people to singleness, but most people are going to be in a relationship. So the big idea for you today and the takeaway is this, that become the person that you want uh, to be, the person that you want to marry. So you want a godly person. Then become that godly person today. Become the person that you want to marry Become that person today, and we'll kind of hit on that, give you different practical things for that throughout the message. But if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. This is the first marriage ever, a couple named Adam and Eve. God is the pastor who oversees the wedding, and this gives us principles in marriage. So if you have your Bibles, it's Genesis chapter 1. It says, so God created mankind in his own Image In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, if you jump over, don't do this. I'll just read it to you. But Genesis chapter 2, Jesus actually quotes Genesis 1 and 2 when he's talking about marriage with the Pharisees. So we know that this is the first wedding. But Jesus quotes this, that this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And, uh, and they become one flesh. Marriage is spiritual because God created it. Man didn't invent marriage. And I know that in our culture right now, marriage is, you know, one way of having relationships. And we're actually reinventing marriage, taking God out of it and saying it can look any way that we want it just as long as we love each other. And uh, we see here, God's saying, no, a marriage is defined between one man, one woman, biologically, and it's in a Christian covenant tied together. God created marriage. We didn't invent that. So, uh, but here's the point of the verse. So he tells us, hey, I created you. I made you male and female. It's for this reason that marriage occurs. Then it says in verse 28, and God blessed them. So I want to talk about one, what does the word blessing mean and what does a blessed marriage look like? And he said to them, so here's, here's how this is going to work. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So he's talking about intimacy. He's talking about family here. He's talking about purpose and a calling. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is the first marriage that God gives us, but he says right away, I want you to be blessed. God blessed them. This word blessed in Hebrew means to invoke divine favor or enacted upon. A positive disposition towards the recipient from God. In other words, you have God's favor. I'll say it differently. There's a supernatural bias that comes on you when you're blessed by God. You can be, you, we're all loved by God. Well, God so loved the world, he gave us, but we're not all blessed. There is a difference. To, to live, you can be loved by God, but still live under a curse. In fact, the opposite of blessing is curse. But God says we can have a blessed life. We can have a blessed relationship, and the blessing is God's supernatural bias towards you. And when he says blessed, what he's basically saying is, I'm going to put my spirit on marriage. Marriage is spiritual, and that's what we mean by we can have a blessed relationship and a blessed marriage, and, I'm, and he's saying I'm putting my spirit within the marriage. Let me say it differently. A blessed marriage is God's presence on your marriage. 
God's presence in your life, in your marriage. So how do you live a blessed marriage? And I want to give four habits today that will strengthen marriages. Four habits and, and four applications if you're single that will strengthen you un, until you are married. But the first one is simple. And let me just say this. You're not going to hear anything new today. You, everything I'm sharing, you, you've heard this before. But the first step is that we need to live a Christ-centered life. So we focus on Jesus. He works a healing in our life. And it says he created them in his image. In other words, he's the focus of the relationship, the focus of the marriage. So we don't focus on our spouse. We don't try to change our spouse. We focus on God. And when two people live a Christ-centered life, what happens, if you think of a triangle, God is at the top, and you're here, and they're over here. You're both working your way to the center, and the intimacy with God actually makes more intimacy with you. I wrote this down. The more you love God the more capacity you will have to love each other. The more you love God, the more capacity that you will have to love each other. Ephesians Paul, Ephesians 5, by the way, we're not going to teach out of it too much today, but it's a good chapter to read on instructions for marriage. So we're going to hit a couple of the verses, but it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands because they deserve it. No, it doesn't say that. No, it doesn't say it. Not because they deserve it. Because if we're honest, they don't. Because we're human, we're imperfect. So God doesn't say, hey, when they figure it out, that's when you do it. Now, I'm not saying we, we, we live submitted to people who are harming our lives. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we stay in something violent, something destructive, something unhealthy. But... You, you do have an imperfect spouse. So here's what God says. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. What? Read it out loud with me. As you do to the Lord. So we submit one to another, both husband and wife, to the Lord. Not because our spouse deserves it, but because God is asking us to. Because there's going to be moments when your significant other is getting under your skin and just irritating you just the right way, you do want to open the car door, shove them out on the way wherever. Uh, but we don't. We don't do it because they figured it out or the, and it's just working just right. No, because God's asking us to. It says the same thing to husbands differently, but he's saying the same thing. Husbands, love your wives just as because they deserve it. No, it doesn't say that. It says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Man, you actually have a, a higher calling because he's saying you sacrifice everything for your wife. Big calling, big, big things there. If you want a Christ-centered marriage, if you want a blessed marriage, we must personally be Christ-centered. And if you're single, a Christ-centered, become the Christ-centered person that you want to marry. So if you want someone who loves Jesus, love Jesus. Become the person that you're looking uh, to marry. Jenny uh, really kind of set the tone for this early in our marriage. After we, we got back to church and we're working on us and we're working on a, a healthy marriage, she was the one who really started exercising this even before I did because we didn't yet know how to mutually submit to one another. 
But I just remember, uh, I don't remember how long it was. I just remember it was early in our marriage, and something was different about Jenny. And I didn't know what it was, um, but she stopped correcting me in front of other people. There, there was just a, a more willingness, and uh, just there was a lot of, like, life coming off of her. And I'm like, something, we, we were going to church, and it wasn't a church thing. I'm sure it helped. But I was like, what, what's different about you? I said, what, what's different? We just were arguing less. She stopped correcting me in front of other people. And I just, it took a while, but I'm like noticing, like, something is different about my wife. And so I asked her, and I said, what, what's different? And she said, I read this book called The Power of a Praying Wife. And she said, it told me to stop trying to change you and to focus on God. And so she did that. And when she stopped focusing on changing me, she focused on Jesus. Now I want to love Jesus more. I start focusing on the Lord and we start healing and we start submitting to each other. It's very practical to do. My point is, is God must be your first priority, not your spouse. Most people, we get confused. We, we make a significant other our priority, and we get confused. We end up in immoral situations because of it, because we, we sidestep God for the sake of the relationship. When God says, don't do that. If you want the blessing, I'll still love you. I'll, st- you know, I'll still love you, but if you want the blessing and my spirit and my presence on the relationship, then be focused on me so I can bring a blessing on you and bring a healing to the two of you. So the first step is live personally Christ-centered because if you look to your spouse, you start idolizing them. They, they make, an, they make a, a, a good husband or a good wife, but they make a terrible God. They make a terrible idol. Don't make your spouse your idol. Make God your center of worship so that you will be strong. Number two, honor one another well. Honor each other well. We read that the two shall become one flesh. This is a a uniting, an honoring of each other. Here's what honoring looks like. It looks like this. uh, Deferring to one another, not dominating one another. Honor one another well. And honor looks like this. You're deferring to one another. Another way we say this is mutual submission and not one dominating the other. Most breakdown in marriages is when there is an imbalance and there's some type of uh, domination or selfishness. Um, There there are other things, but I think the core of the other things is because someone's being selfish or someone's trying to be dominating. So I, I wrote down some things. This is the main violation of honoring one another is someone trying to dominate you. And when God is asking us to submit one to another, he submission is given, it's not demanded. We tend to, we must sub, submit because God has said so, and it's like, I, I choose to give it to you. And not because you deserve it, but because God is asking me to, he can never be demanded. But if there is a dominant person in the marriage, it's going to break down. You're going to have some trouble. Here's what I wrote down. Dominance means this, a dis portionate control in one or more areas of the marriage money someone controlling the money someone controlling uh the children the possessions sexual intimacy the relationship the spiritual life the atmosphere of the home someone's it's just imbalance 
and this can be both men or women, equal in either way. It happens both ways. But one, um, one spouse dominating a portion of the marriage, that's, that's not honoring each other. Also, selfishness just makes the marriage about me. It's about what I want. It's about my job. It's about my money. It's about my career. And the truth is dominance and selfishness is going to destroy and be brutal on your marriage. And most of the time when marriage fails, um, I know that um, it does happen. And if you're here today and you, you've come out of a difficult marriage and you've been through the middle of divorce, look, God says he hates divorce, but he doesn't hate the divorced person. And the Bible actually tells us why he hates it. It says because it does violence to your soul. We're not, you're not meant to unone what God's made one. He gives room for it in scriptures, something very unhealthy, something. But God's heart is you to be healed from that. And my heart in preaching this is so that if you are single again, that, you, that you're going to become an honoring person now. And I believe if you become an honoring person now, because your hesitation would be coming out of a wound and a marriage would now maybe tend to be critical or to be suspicious and not want, able to maybe go into that relationship now. So if you're a single person, specifically single again, you've come out of a difficult marriage, your heart is, you know, God, you're going to need time to restore and heal but become an honoring person now, and don't let that wound say you could never be an honoring person. We honor each other. For Jen and I, we've determined what this looks like in a couple of different ways. But I'll say the main way is we try not to embarrass each other publicly. It's dishonoring. And ladies, men will always gravitate to where they're honored. And there is never, ever an excuse to be immoral or to live in adultery. There's never an excuse for that, to have an affair. But affairs often happen because there's dishonor at the home. Not always, but sometimes. Often will be someone is honoring them, and they're going to gravitate to that. Men will always gravitate to the place of honor. This is why we say honor each other well. But have you ever seen like couples fight? around you and you just feel so uncomfortable or or you get corrected one of them's telling the story and the, they correct the other one like wait a minute the, the the fish was not that big honey and it's like oh you just embarrassed the guy in front of his friends why would you do that you don't need to do that you could talk to him later and say hey i noticed you're embellishing your fishing stories lately uh but on, the honoring thing would be to wait on it because it's actually just not a big deal the analogy i want to use today about honoring each other and mutual submission is that a bird. How many wings does a bird have? Two. How many birds is there? The two shall become one. And marriage is like each spouse is a wing on the bird. And if you have an imbalanced uh, marriage where one is dominating the other and one wing is controlling, all you are is just flopping in circles because you're in balance. You're not doing it. Or, you know, you're not honoring each other, so you're flying in circles all the time. When God says, no, there needs to be mutual submission so that when you're flying together, you're able to lift that thing up and you're blessed because you're honoring each other. So Jen and I, we have mutual submission. She does a lot. God, he tells us why. Let's, let's read it here. God gives us what that looks like. However, uh, Ephesians 5.33, however, each one of you 
talking to husbands, also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. What he's saying is men and women have different primary needs. So when we first read, like, I don't know, you know, this is old-fashioned. No, it's not. It's the way God designed it, and it works. I've been married 27 years, uh, and I don't know what came first, whether I was married or, or born, because I got married young, and it just seems like I've always been married. I know I had a childhood, but it feels like I've always been married, because I've been married 27 years. But Paul's saying, hey, meet each other's primary need. Help your partner reach their full potential. Honor them. So Jen and I, we have discussions about major decisions. I don't make a major decision without Jenny's input and, and, and without her blessing. And, and if she feels a pause, we're going to be a pause. It was a decision, kind of a big one this week, that we made. We talked, I, won't, I don't, won't share what it is because I don't want to be judged. But, um, it, you know, we just, we talked through it and we, we thought, like, this feels like right. But we both felt a little bit uneasy about this decision we were making. And I said, and where Jenny said, just yesterday in the car, we were leaving the retreat centers. We were working on it to get ready for the open house today. As we were leaving, she said, I, I, we, I brought up this thing. I keep going back and forth. I, I thought that's what I wanted, but I'm not sure. And she's like, actually, I've given a lot of thought. And she says, Mike, I don't have peace about that. I don't think we should do that. And I, I said, I think you're right, and I'm going to submit to that. That's what mutual submission looks like. A dominating person would be like, I think you're wrong. We're going to do it. Like, nope. So if we're not in agreement, and I feel like if, we're, if we are in a non-agreement thing, one of us is waiting. If we feel like we heard the Lord, then we're just like, you know what? If they're not ready yet, then we're going to pause until we're on the same page. That's what honoring looks like. That's what mutual submission looks like. It's not like my way or the highway. It's not a dominating thing. It's a mutual Thing. A Christ-centered marriage is a blessed marriage. And a blessed marriage is going to honor each other. Number three, um, keep romance and intimacy alive. When God is telling Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, he's not saying go plant pear trees. He's not saying grow your bank account. He's talking about intimacy and building a family. He's saying, I'm, I want to bless it. But if we're honest, if we're married, the responsibilities of life, the pressures of paying bills and figuring out schedules, all of that, it starts choking out intimacy. You, if you're a Christian, you should be living pure until your marriage day. And so there's a lot of anticipation, and I've seen it done. It does work. People do do it. Like they maintain their purity until they, but there's a lot of anticipation for the honeymoon night or for the wedding night. And, you know, I, I counsel people, and I'll tell men, I know why you want to get married, and so does Jesus. So he knows, too. You ain't fooling anybody. <laughs> listen, listen, he, he knows, and he wants it blessed. But what happens is, like, we're, we're all for that, and no one ever walks down the aisle thinking, you know what, I'm waiting. No one walks down the aisle and think, one day, you know, I'm going to marry you now. We're going to have a beautiful moment, and then one day, we're going to just be at each other and going to be fresh and we're just going to stop and we're going to have intimacy but maybe once a month maybe a couple times a year or whatever and we just start breaking down really no one does that but what happens is responsibilities pressure children all these things come in our life starts choking out intimacy we must be deliberate and this is true and i see this more now 
Instead of having a Christ-centered marriage that God is blessing and the marriage is and, and, and the intimacy and the relationship is being built on, what happens is they become children-focused homes. Then when they're out and you become, um, Jen and I are going to be empty nesters soon. And we're quasi-empty nesters now because he's 21 and hardly ever around. But, uh, and going to get married soon. But we, if, if, if you have a, a child-centered home, children-centered home, and they leave, you start having a major uh, deficit in the relationship and it starts getting rocky because what your marriage was centered around is gone. And the foundation falls out, the bottom falls out. But if you flip it and say, let's focus on us and let's be healthy, let's enjoy each other, let's stay intimate, let's keep romance in the marriage. If we do that, then when the children leave, we still have this thing that we've been doing that becomes a strength and a foundation for the marriage. So here's the Bible verse for this. This is going to say marital duty, but it's talking about the duty. And I don't mean the bathroom. <laughs> Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 7, 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty, which means do not withhold intimacy from your wife. Sexual intimacy. That's what he's saying. To his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. So he's saying keep romance in your marriage. Keep it healthy. Keep it strong. Here's some things I wrote down practically. And I don't mean just intimacy. I mean doing life and having fun together, enjoying the relationship, enjoying the marriage. Find recreational activities that you enjoy together. Schedule date nights. Do not withhold intimacy from each other. These are the things you do. Jen and I, um, we love motorcycles. She has a motorcycle. I have one, so we'll do some motorcycle. We enjoy camping. We like estate sales. So we, we often will watch something on TV at night and just sit together. These are things that we are doing together as a couple that, that we enjoy. One thing that we like to do together is we like to pr play cards. Um, we just learned this new game called Canasta. Has anybody heard of this? Okay, only the people older than us. All right. Oh, no, some of us, all right, some of us are younger. All right, great. I love Canastas. This is a new game we just learned to play. We learned gin, gin rummy during that thing last year. And uh, we, we love cards, but also just do that. You may not enjoy the, the thing as, as much as the other person. You still do it anyway because you love them. So, for instance, Jenny likes the TV shows where they flip a house. There's all kinds of them, Chip and Joanna Gaines, you know, that she loves them. But those things, I, I think, how is it possible that there can be a reality show where it's exactly the same? Every single time, you're going to find a dump. Someone's going to knock out a kitchen wall for an open concept every single episode. We're going to go for a more open concept. Oh, that's original. Okay. And, uh, and I'm just like, well, she loves it. So I watch it with her, not because I like it. The other one she likes is hoarders. Oh, my gosh. I can't stand hoarders. She loves it. I'm like, why do you watch it? It inspires me to clean. No, it doesn't. This... This, this just makes me sick to my stomach. How could we be watching this? Oh, my gosh. But now listen. But I'll watch them with her. I like documentaries. Oh, my. Jenny hates 
documentaries. Oh my gosh, this is so boring. They are literally just talking. It's, she's like, when I watch this, all I hear is Charlie Brown. We spent, we spent about three hours last week watching uh, Mark Twain documentaries, Samuel Clemens. I loved it. But, you know, if, you, she, if she's honest, she'll tell you she's starting to enjoy them. It took 27 years, but she's starting to enjoy them now. So you just do things. You have fun together. And you, you do things that you both equally like, but sometimes you just do what they like because that's your wife. That's your husband. I'm going to do it because you like it. I'll go, I don't want to go put a worm on a hook, but, honey, because you like to fish, I'll go fishing with you. Just give me rubber gloves or something and I'll do it that way. Let me just talk to single people about this. Because if you're single here today, look, a, Christ, a, a Christ-centered marriage is going to be blessed. And it's going to have life. It's going to keep the intimacy. If you're single, and this is hard today. Oh, there's so much pressure now. Keep your purity. Don't use pornography to indulge in sexual pleasure because you feel lonely. Take that to God and keep your purity. And when I say become the person that you want to be, you want someone who's kept their purity. And this is not a judgment because I lived sexual and moral before Jen and I met. And it was in our dating that we decided to keep purity. And we made that choice and we did it. It wasn't easy, but we did it. So if you're single, it's probably the most significant thing that I could tell you if you have any takeaway you're single today that's it keep your purity do not compromise that because the world is saying you know what we have needs we got to take care of our, our needs and I remember in the 1980s when it was becoming a big deal because it was it was taboo even all the way up until the late 70s kind of taboo to live together when you weren't married and they would have like Phil Donahue you probably don't know who he is but Phil Donahue would have these shows and have these couples and why are you living together when you're not married and like you know that's old-fashioned oh no it's not old-fashioned it's how the Lord designed it it's what it's supposed to be you know let me just say something and please oh, I know I'm gonna step on toes forgive me if you're living together and you're not married, that's not godly. And I, I think in your heart you want to be. I would just say the scriptures say it's better to be married than burn with passion. So there is a precedent set like it's just better to be married than to live in that. that. And marriage is a covenant between two people. It's fixed forever in the eyes of God. It's not meant to be broken we know it does happen there's grace there's room for that you're still loved by God but if you're single again hey make a commitment like we're gonna honor each other and I've, I've had people say come up to me after messages like this and I, I think they probably felt judgment there isn't any honestly I don't have any stones to throw I did it I was you know I'm imperfect, so I'm not throwing stones but I'm just saying God's word t gives us this for a reason because he wants a blessing on our life you don't want to start the relationship out in impurity. And Jen and I did, but we came to this place like, you know what? I don't think this is right. But and so we made a decision. We're going to be pure. But people will come up and they'll say, well, I do it for financial reasons. Because if we get married, then I lose this. or this. And I'm just like, I don't think a financial reason is a reason to disobey God. I just don't. 
I'll take the financial sacrifice to do it God's way. Because I, I want the blessing of God on, on my marriage, on the relationship. So just do it right. You know, and it's like, if, if you're there, you just repent. You just say, God, forgive us. And we want to do this right. We want to do it the right way. It's like, wow, you said it's going to be about marriage. Why are you talking to me? Like, get back to the married people, Mike. All right, I'll move on. I'll move on because it got super quiet. <laughs> Hey, this isn't in my notes, but it came to me first service. I want to tell you guys. I'm going to tell you that how to define a perfect marriage. A perfect marriage is not possible. And I don't have a perfect marriage. We, we do our best. We, we work on it. We work on us. But a perfect marriage is two imperfect people willing to stay committed even though we have flaws even though we don't get it right even though we make mistakes even though we still get angry even though we say things we we regret we do things that hurt each other at the end of the day we're still committed to each other even though we are imperfect that's what a perfect marriage is is two imperfect people willing to stay together so how do you strengthen your marriage one live a christ-centered life Number two, honor each other very well. Number three, keep romance and intimacy alive. And I only have a few minutes on this last one, so I won't spend a lot of time. But number four, when you're at odds with each other, keep a loving attitude. Love doesn't mean you're always going to agree with each other. Love doesn't mean you're never going to have a fight. You do move past the honeymoon. It means you're going to be committed and your commitment to the marriage is bigger than the trying to resolve the flaws or get through the issues or get rid of all of that stuff. That's what it is. Ephesians 4 says, In your anger do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. So you can have anger. You just can't stay in it. And do not give the devil a foothold. I wrote down some rules of engagement for arguing. Never when you're hungry, tired, or in a mood or late. I'm always in a mood. Okay, you're in trouble. Number, never call names. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and words are nuclear. And you think you're just making a point, you're trying to get... You're trying to dig in. I try to take the approach like if we're in a tough conversation, it's because we're wanting we're wanting resolution, we're wanting to be understood, but sometimes it gets to the place where you just want to be mean. Don't do that. Don't call names. Never raise your voice. If it gets too heated, take a break. Don't get his, historical. You know what I mean by that? When you bring up the past. Scriptures say love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Let me just say this. Don't use hyperboles like you always, you never. It's always this. You always, and that's not true. It's rarely true. It's hyperbole. And when you do that, you're exaggerating. I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen, but it's probably not always Last but not least, never say divorce. 
don't have an exit plan. If you're married today, don't have an exit plan. If you're single and you're going to get married or you're working on a relationship or you're praying for that today, you know what? Don't have an exit plan. Don't think, you know, I got a way out, you know. Some of us are waiting because we don't know. I'm not sure if I'm not ready. Don't have an exit plan. You say, Pastor Mike, I, I, I had to, you know, I understand there are reasons people get divorced, and I actually have compassion for that. Um, but when you have two people who are working on it, just don't throw it out there. Just don't flippantly say that. The last one is really important. Hear this one. Never quote your pastor when you're fighting. <laughs> Keep me out of it. Keep me out of it. I don't want to be part of that. Here, let's stand up. We're going to close in prayer.